Welcome to Change Nation. Over the past two decades, Kathleen and Gay Hendricks have worked with over 20,000 individuals, 80 companies, and 3,000 couples in helping them change their lives, their companies, and their relationships. They're the founders of the Hendricks Institute and also co-founders of the Spiritual Cinema Circle. Together, they've authored many books, including Conscious Living, The Conscious Heart, and other books about relationships. They've also appeared on over 500 TV and radio programs, and today we're very lucky to have them on our program, Change Nation. The talk today is going to focus really about conscious relationships. We have both of them on the show, beautiful husband and wife team who are right here in front of me. It's a pleasure to have you both here. What a treat. Mm, thank thank you, you so much for having us. So you guys have created an incredible relationship between the two of you, and you've also helped thousands do the same thing. I guess my first question is, what are the problems that you keep encountering over and over as you see relationships and what they're kind of stumbling into? The biggest problem is that there's something in the person that they don't love, and and they try to get the other person to love that. So the central issue is if I feel unlovable and then I'm trying to get you to love something in me that I don't love, that's never going to work. And so the task becomes really noticing what is it that I don't love about myself and then loving that, and then that attracts someone who then loves themselves as a whole person. So give me an example, Katie. Well, you might think, well, I don't really, um, if I were thinner uh, or if I um, were smarter or um, if I were taller or you know, if I had more money, it, but it's really something that I don't love. Um, or I might think that, um, like in my family, I was always, I was the second born and my older brother was the favorite. So I always had this kind of, I had to work harder in order to be loved. So I would come at my relationships as a task where I had to work hard in order to be loved rather than just being loved for who I was. And so it leads to kind of behavior patterns, you know, so I would be kind of super responsible. And it showed up in my relationship with, with Gay at first because I would be sort of in his face all the time trying to do things that I thought he wanted me to do where I was actually bothering him. And if when I was just being myself and doing what I really love to do, it created much more space for us to enjoy each other. One of the big problems is that um, a lot of us come into relationships with a high need for approval, but we don't realize what a high need it is because it's a kind of an unconscious thing. And so we're trying to work overtime to get the other person to approve of us in some way, when in actual fact, what we really need is to love and embrace and accept that old part of ourselves that never got approved of. And, and the moment you love and approve of that in yourself, then it disappears in your relationships and then you're free to be yourself. Is it a good idea to tell your, your partner, your spouse, the parts of yourself you don't love that you need approval for? Oh, yeah, and to I actually think share a, it and put it out there and say, I, think I don't it's like a great this. idea. In fact, we really recommend that people be real and to really be transparent about whatever is going on, that that's the best way to not only form a loving relationship with yourself, but to form a connection with other people. And it's also very sexy. Being authentic about whatever it is that's going on opens up intimacy with another person right away. Love the question of honesty. I was going to ask it a little later on. 
so many couples struggle with being honest because there's a fear of the person's going to leave me or I'm threatening the relationship or I'm hurting the person. I don't want to hurt the person. How do you, even between yourselves, how do you be radically honest knowing that you unconditionally love each other? Well, it's, uh, it's a matter of practice. I think both of us came into relationship with a big, heavy old program that said, don't be honest, because we didn't see a lot of that. Uh, I certainly never saw a lot of that growing up. And um, the, uh, the trick is to begin to try out little bits of honesty. And, and one place to do it is on your feelings. You know, if it's, it's not difficult to say to another person, I'm feeling sad right mm -hmm. now, or I feel mm -hmm. scared. Or, or I feel angry. I feel that was angry. the big one for me. What I learned how to conceal anger. And so to say, you know, I, I feel angry and not have gay go away, that was really a big deal. Yeah. And on the other side of that, to allow yourself to speak honestly when you're feeling joy and excited and, and feeling a good <laughs> flow, um, a lot of us just don't realize that it's honesty, it's opening that throat and letting our full flow come through that really connects us to other people. Can you tell when you work with couples, are there clues of relationships that are going to make it and relationships that probably are better apart? What a great question. Yes, there are lots of clues. One of the big clues is whether the um, emotion of contempt is present in the room. Uh, once couples have slid into contempt, it's very hard to jumpstart the relationship again. Mm -hmm. They've taken a position that the other person is insufficiently cultured protoplasm and uh, they want to get out of there. And we've found in the thousands of couples we've worked with, um, there's about 5% or so, one out of 20 couples, that really are making each other sick in the sense of they're feeling worse around each other, they're having more sick days, there sometimes can be uh, physical violence. But if, if they look at that relationship, we, we talk to them and say, look, you may be better off without each other, mm -hmm. but that's only about 5% of the time. Most people are in what we call learning relationships, where if there is one or two things they could learn, then the relationship would work. But those one or two things are oftentimes rooted in some old programs that sometimes go back to their conception. And so it's difficult sometimes to bring those to the surface. Uh, one of the things that uh, we noticed early on in our relationship and have certainly seen with so many people is that humans have a tendency to want to be right. And when there's a conflict or any kind of a difference that comes up in the relationship, people tend to kind of take a position that I'm right, and if you'll just admit that I'm right, then we can move on. And if people learn how to shift from that into wondering about, hmm, I wonder why this is coming up between us right now. I'm wondering what I could learn from this. That's a major shift that really allows couples to then move into not only learning from each other, but moving into celebrating each other and, and being a source of support for each other's creativity. And you know, most people think that relationships are really a place where you kind of tolerate each other or you have to compromise or settle for less. And they don't realize that relationships are such an incredible place where you can learn how to reveal who you really are, your essence, your genius. And you can really do that best in the presence of somebody who loves you and who's really committed to you. And uh, that was really a miracle for me in 
my relationship with gay is finding out that I could be more and more of who I am just by being around you. That's one of the beauties of a conscious relationship is there are very simple things like being honest and committing and appreciating each other that have a cumulative effect over time that they become like a little drop of lubricant on the mechanics of the relationship and after a while things run more and more smoothly. One of the things I really want to make sure everybody understands too is the high-powered value of honesty not only in close relationships but also in health matters. Um, we had a, an executive come in one time who had had 175 chiropractic adjustments and over 100 massages to try to get rid of his lower back pain. And he was about to have surgery. And he was about to have spinal fusion surgery. And so our treatment of it took about 10 minutes and the back pain went away. What was the treatment? Well, we got him to tell the truth to his wife about an affair he had been having. And he'd been lying about mm -hmm. it for three years, which was exactly the <laughs> length of time he'd been having the back pain. And so when he told his wife about it, it was a difficult hour. But on the other hand, it rebirthed their relationship because they were both committed enough that they were able to move on through it and create a whole new relationship out of that. So that's the power of pain in the sense is if you can catch it and deal with it, then you get to collect the benefits of all of that intimacy that had been blocked through the pain. For people who are listening to this who are at the stage of to divorce or not to divorce, mm -hmm. and they, they've pretty much thought through this what would be your last words to them? Just one more thing to maybe consider if they, they're they not really there and maybe the relationship is, is salvageable. One of the things that we ask people to think about when they're in that state is ask yourself, what is the one thing that I came into this relationship to learn that if I learned it, I wouldn't have to repeat it again in the future. Because here's why that's so important. We have seen so many people who have come into us and they have gotten a divorce and then gotten into another relationship and recreated exactly the same pattern that or they worse. were in, or worse, that they were in before. And so there's that one thing often that people in a learning relationship get together to learn from each other and they've created exactly the right place to learn it, but they haven't gotten willing to learn it. And the moment you get willing to learn that one thing, sometimes it'll happen within a few minutes, sometimes it might take months, but if you can get willing to learn it, then it happens. You you learn it and then you can move out of the relationship or move closer to the other person and you're not carrying the baggage forward into another relationship. For the people listening who are are single or looking for a conscious relationship, how how do they find a good match? How, what are the qualities today that someone who is single either has, you know, gotten divorced or, or whatever other situation might have brought them to that? What are some good steps to take nowadays? The first thing is to get real yourself so that getting into a new relationship, you really are yourself. And to let yourself love those aspects of yourself that, maybe feel unlovable. So when you get into a relationship, you're able to be yourself and you're able to uh, be with the other person with curiosity. And that ability to be curious about yourself and be curious about the other person really allows you to invent something new rather than repeating 
uh, patterns from the past or things that you've been scared of. A second thing that's really important that we've taught to thousands of single people is to get clear on what your three absolute yeses and your three absolute noes are about what you really want. And the no part is very important too because a lot of times um, it, it's a great idea to think about what you really want but it's a really good idea to think about what you don't want mm -hmm. in a relationship. So, for example, maybe three absolute yeses would be, I want a relationship with a person who's honest. That was one of the big things I wanted to create when I first asked Katie out. You know, I wanted to create a relationship where both of us could be honest with each other. A second absolute yes for me was, I wanted a relationship in where the other person was really just as committed to her creative mm -hmm development as I was to mine. And I also wanted to create a relationship. One of my absolute yeses was I wanted to create a relationship where both of us were willing to take responsibility for things that came up mm -hmm. rather than eat up a lot of energy with blaming each other for whatever it was. And I'd found in, in my past relationships, they'd always messed up around one of those three things. Either one of us would lie to the other one or one of us would get into a blame state and not be able to get out of it. And among my absolute no's were that I realized when I was in my early 30s that I had created one relationship after the other where the other person had an addiction to something, either a chemical addiction usually. Um, but I woke up in my 30s one day and realized, oh, my mother had addiction problems. So I must have just taken a snapshot of that and said, okay, that's how relationships are supposed to be. And suddenly I realized, wait a minute, I'm not going to create any more relationships with people with addictions. And so I put that high on my absolute no. I, I do not want a person who has any addiction problems. Part of what an absolute no will do for you is keep you from kind of just settling for whatever. I remember when I got out of my first relationship, my my mother said, well, you know, you I don't know if you should do that. You know, you could do worse. And there's this whole, you know, there's this whole ethic in the culture of, well, you know, it's easier for women to, you know, they'd be caught in a fire than it is for them to find someone who really loves them. And so what we like to say to people, too, is you only need one. You only need one person. And if you're, particularly if you're doing what you love to do, that's what I, I really like to tell people that we counsel is let yourself engage in life with your passion, what you really love to do, and then you'll meet people who really can match that passion and may also still may be interested in the same kinds of things that you're interested in. How similar are you? Do you believe that certain things must be the same or can everything be different between two people? Well... We've worked with, gosh, hundreds if not thousands of people who seemed on the surface to be radically different from each other. So I don't think it's necessary to have the same background or anything like that. In fact, uh, you know, we've had great relationships come with a, one person who's a librarian and the other person is a mountain climber, you know, and the librarian just cannot stand to get out there in the cold and walk around on rocks and the other one yeah. doesn't read, you know, but yeah. there's something in the essence connection between them. There's something in the, the connection between them that uh, they really um, respond to each other. You know, that's something that people can cultivate. What It's a quality of appreciation that when uh, when you are really for the other person and you're looking at what you really appreciate about them, it develops even more of an intimacy and connection between you. 
We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Change Nation. I'm here with Katie and Gay Hendricks talking about conscious relationships, things to do to find love, maintain love, and certainly improve relationships as well. You two being right here in the studio with me have an incredible love. And I'm curious what you do to nurture that, take Mm. care of that. Mm. What are your daily routines? Mm, What a wonderful question. Well, one of the things that we do every day together, if we're in the same place, is meditate together. We spend time being with each other without doing anything. And I really treasure those times because we have that kind of essence-to-essence connection where we're appreciating each other and we're being together. And often our cat Lucy will come and join us during those times too. So we really have this delicious kind of being together. One of the other things that we make sure we do on a daily basis is um, many years ago we read a a piece of uh, marital research that said that thriving relationships have a five-to-one ratio of positive comments to negative comments with the other person. And so we said, well, let's start with five to one, but let's go to 500 to one if at all possible. And so every day we very likely to speak very positive things to the other one, you know, like, I really uh, appreciate you for the way you're dressed today, Mm -hmm. that uh, really colorful way. It's very pleasurable to my eyes. Something simple like that, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just a little 10 second, little drop of lubricant on the relationship flow. Mm -hmm. And Things like that make a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Little things like that really mount Mm -hmm. up. So appreciation, a steady flow of appreciation. We also, too, we if we have business things to talk about, Mm -hmm. we set a business meeting a couple of times a week for a half an hour. You know, because we lead very busy lives, and a lot of couples we found are always talking Mm -hmm. about the business stuff. You know, one Mm -hmm. of them will say. Hey, uh, let's go dancing the other tonight. And the other one will say... um, Well, did you pick up the cleaning? Yeah, you know, so there's always that discussion of, Mm -hmm. oh, we got to get that upstairs toilet Mm -hmm. fixed. And and we don't do it that way. We set aside a couple of times a week where we talk about that kind of stuff. And then we don't clutter up our lives with all that kind of uh, uh, day-to-day kind of stuff. Do you still Mm -hmm. argue? Do you still have problems that show up? Or have you gotten... To the other side of those? Um, I wouldn't say that we argue. I'd say maybe once or twice a year, there's a just some little thing that comes up that we want to give attention to. Um, like I'm very sensitive to being criticized. And sometimes I'll see that Gay's criticizing me when he really isn't. So what what I do is just go ahead and bring that up and say, you know, I, you know, it sounded to me like you were criticizing me. And so we just handle it in a in a very straightforward kind of way. But I wouldn't say, gosh, I can't even remember the last time we've argued about anything. I remember an argument we had in 1995. So that was about 13, 14 years ago. Um, nobody said anything negative in our house in so long. I can't even remember how, even with our kids, you know, it's possible to have these principles be a way of parenting too. Mm-hmm. Although our kids mm-hmm. are grown now and have moved on they were really raised in this kind of environment, so they they are able to do these things in their relationships, too. Right, and you ought to see our grandkids, too, because (laughs) they've been raised with all of this appreciation and and love and transparency and support for what they want to do, and they are remarkable human beings. So it really gives me a lot of uh, confidence in not only personal relationships, but our future relationships and our future generations 
who, who live with these principles. Do you find, you said a few interesting things, appreciation, honesty, are those the qualities that are most important to nurture? Are those the ones that are missing? Are those the ones that will be most transformational? Well, one of, one of them that we didn't mention as much that's very transformational is this act of catching yourself blaming and instead of blaming, taking responsibility for that. That is so crucial. And then, you know, you see that in the political world too, you know, that one of the reasons things don't get done very much in the political realm is people end up blaming each other and then they don't get their heads into the game about mm -hmm. how do we fix that? You know, it becomes more uh, arousing for them just to hurl blame back and forth at each other. And so that's one of the big problems we, we have. One of the things we've, mm -hmm. we're promoting in the world is uh, what we call our Conscious Living and Loving Initiative, which is a way of asking politicians to speak honestly in a non-blameful way about the problems, uh, because we're both very tired of seeing blame hurled back and forth in the political realm. I want to go through a couple of just general problems that I think people run into in relationships and just sort of hear very briefly how you would handle it or what you would recommend. Um, cheating, infidelity. If people talk about it and each person takes responsibility for having created it rather than fighting about, you know, who did what, uh, it's a great opportunity to actually make your relationship even stronger because both people contributed to the distance that created the infidelity. It's really clear, the research is very clear that if you don't talk about it, the, it's very unlikely that you're going to really survive the infidelity. But people can actually come through that with an even more intimate and deeper relationship. Rebuilding trust after cheating and infidelity? Rebuilding trust is largely a matter of getting through the noisy phase of mm -hmm. the honesty. You know, when, when, the man I mentioned that had to confess to his wife, honey, I've been cheating on you every Tuesday and Thursday with my secretary for the last three years. You know, there was a noisy phase for the next month where there were a lot of eruptions of anger. And, you know, who can blame her for that? And so there was lots of eruptions of that. But what really healed their relationship was finally when she could look at herself and say, hmm, I see how I invited that by not acting on my own creativity in life. And so I was holding back from expressing my creativity. And so the relationship got to look boring to me. He got to look boring. And then out of that came the affair. So it's important for both people to step up and take 100% responsibility, even if it looks like one person is the perpetrator. And then the trust is a kind of a byproduct out of acting differently, out of recommitting to the relationship. So one of the things we didn't mention earlier that's a really important component of a successful relationship is making a wholehearted commitment, that you really get into the game, you get into the pool, so that you're able to learn what you need to learn, rather than being on the edge and thinking, well, I'm, I'm going to see how this goes, and then I'll make up my mind. When people really get in or really get out, then something really powerful and magical can happen. So committing, often those kinds of situations come up because the relationship is in limbo. You're not really in the relationship. So one person kind of makes it, you know, gives an easy out for the both of them. What about a couple where they've become roommates, friends, <laughs> not lovers? Yes, that's what we call a devitalized marriage uh, or devitalized relationship where the 
where they become friends but no longer passionate about each other. Well, what happens to cause that is a succession of moments where one or both people have swallowed their own passions, have buried their own passions about things they wanted to do in the world, not just sexual adventures or anything like that, but just what they wanted to be expressing in themselves creatively. And when people do that, they gradually devitalize themselves. Mm -hmm. And when that happens in a relationship, it's very easy for that to happen. And actually, it happens more in the lives of successful people mm -hmm. than it does in the lives of unsuccessful people usually. <laughs> so it's a big issue for people who are mm -hmm. uh, in, in successful. You know, it's like the business of your life or the business of your work takes over and you forget about the what's at the very center of that, sharing time with another person. And so the, I think those daily practices that we were mentioning where you have a chance where you can really see each other and appreciate each other and give to each other, that's what really nurtures the foundation of your relationship. I guess my last last one I've heard a lot or, or seen a lot of couples struggle with nowadays is one couple seems to be waking up more spiritually, more on a growth path, more want to be exploring, open-minded, and the other person is very threatened and potentially very closed. Yes, that's a, that's a big issue these days. And um, Part of that is organic in the sense that it's rare for both people to wake up in a relationship at the same time anyway. But what often happens is that the other person who hasn't awakened yet gets scared about losing the relationship. And instead of taking on the other person as a learning partner, instead of that, they end up entrenching themselves and making the other person wrong. And so we've seen hundreds of couples that have rebirthed their relationship out of that. And what rebirths them is the other person needs to make an equivalent commitment to growing in whatever way they can. It doesn't have to be the same way, mm -hmm. but it, it's just finding their edge and bringing forth that part of themselves, which is crying out mm -hmm. for expression in the world. It begins to flower and then you, you become juicier. And even if you're not as accomplished or doing the same kinds of things as your partner, there's this satisfaction and fulfillment of stepping into your own possibility rather than living through another person. That's really such an important part of a, of a successful relationship. It's about being close, but it's also about your own creative individuation. And then you have two whole people who join together and that co-creativity, I really think is the new frontier. What can happen when two people join their energy rather than it's going to be about me or it's going to be about you, I'm going to support you and then you're going to support me, but both of us being whole people, I think there isn't any problem in the world that we can't solve. The way we end off uh, our interviews here on the show is to actually ask all our experts the same three questions. We call them our, our change signature questions. I'd love to hear both your answers. The first question is, what is the belief that you go to during times of change and transition in your own life? A belief that I go to, I think, is, is about we are all one. This universe is all connected and there is nothing here that's out of place. And my belief that everything is whole and everything is one 
when I get stuck, it's because I've forgotten that mm. and I've forgotten to be in oneness with whatever is happening in me or be in oneness with whatever is happening in Katie or the world. And so it's a it's a core belief, I think, in a feeling of the oneness and mm. connection of things. Mm. Mine is similar. It's, it's um, belief that it's all about love and that we all are here to love. And if uh, there's a problem that comes up, it's something that I've withdrawn my love from. And that if I just for a moment think of gay or think of our grandchildren, I feel that sense of loving and then I can bring that to whatever looks like it's separate from love. And then it all becomes a flow of love again. Here's a second question. Fill in the sentence. The best thing about change is? It's fun, exhilarating. (laughs) And it's happening anyway, so might as well enjoy it. Uh, The word that came up for me is possibility. The best thing about change is possibility and also improvisation. I love to improvise to see what's this next thing that's going to come up. I have no idea. And especially me combining my energy with someone else. I, I love that moment of creation. Here's the last one. And you're not allowed to say meeting each other and getting married. What is the best change that you've ever made? Ah, for me, it was the change from seeing myself as separate from myself and the world and other people to seeing myself as connected to them and that seeing ultimately that we are all connected to each other. I think the best change that I ever made was um, leaving my son's father and deciding that Um, I was 20 years old, that uh, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I was going to make a really big change because this was not working. And that's what eventually led me to the rest of my life and meeting gay. It's beautiful. I want to thank you both so much for being on the show. You guys are welcome anytime to talk about any subject you want. (laughs) Oh, thank you very much. I want to make sure all our listeners know for more information on Kathleen and Gay Hendrix's work, books, please go to their website, www.hendrix.com. That's H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. And you can also listen to our other interview that I did by myself with Gay on his latest book, The Big Leap, which is a book I highly recommend. Um, and uh, you can find that anywhere books are sold, but also on that website, which is thebigleap.net. For more other fascinating interviews with experts, authors, please visit us on the web at www.first30days.com. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.